Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Let's meet there this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 12. We will read a few verses from there in a moment. But let me begin our time together this morning this way. There are three basic problems that are common to all of us. They are sickness, sorrow, and suffering. And as long as we live in this fallen world, we're going to have to deal with all three of those. Sometimes we'll deal with them indirectly as they come into the lives of those we know and love. And then there will be times when they come into our lives directly and we have to deal with them directly. And such was the case with our family on February the 6th of 2018. Katie and I were at home and I was sitting up in our bed and I don't know if I was reading or, or watching TV. I can't remember what I was doing. Katie was out in the living room in the recliner. And I had my cell phone beside me on the bed, and it rang. And I looked down, and it said, Sheena. And I thought, well, that was strange. Sheena very seldom calls me. She, she calls Katie. And so I picked up the phone, and she said, is, is Katie there? And I said, yes. And she said, would you get her? I need to talk to you guys. And so I went out in the living room and I put it on hands free and through her tears, the first three words out of Sheena's mouth were, TJ is dead. He was killed very unexpectedly in, in really what was just a, a freak accident while he was working on his pickup in, in the driveway. T.J. was 35 years old, and he left behind, I think we've got a picture of his family, left behind his, his wife, Sheena, and uh, three beautiful daughters, Mallory Page, Ellie Grace, and Callie May. Mallory was seven at the time. Ellie, on the, in her daddy's arms there, was three. And Callie May was six months, almost seven. This is, this is those same three girls today. Their mom snapped this picture um, on Monday, on their first day of, of school. Uh, Mallory is now 11. And Callie is seven, and uh, Ellie, or excuse me, uh, Callie May is, is now five. 
Not long after TJ's death, Katie and I began praying that God would bring a man into Sheena's life who would love her and, and love those three girls and really just pick up where, where TJ left off in, in leading his family spiritually. And he did. Uh, it's an amazing story of how God brought Derek and his son Boston uh, into the lives of Sheena and our three granddaughters. And I'll not go into all of that this morning. Uh, but we love, we love Derek and Boston and are so thankful that God has brought them into our family and made them a part of our family. And, and Derek loves the Lord and he loves Sheena and he loves those girls and, and they all love him back. And uh, it has just been a joy to see God do that for her. Uh, there's so much that I would, would love to tell you this morning about TJ. Uh, but suffice it to say that at the time of his death, he was everything that a mom or dad could possibly hope that one of their children would become. Not perfect by any means. Not perfect. But he loved God, and he loved his family, and he served the Lord faithfully through their little church there in, in the south central part of, uh, of the state. He enjoyed being a successful businessman, and truly, um, he was just an all-around good guy. To know T.J. was to love him. I mean, you could not leave a conversation without, with him without saying he's just, he's an awesome guy. He just had a wonderful personality, and everybody loved him. The little community they live in there is a rural community of about 500 people. Uh, there was between 12 and 1,300 people at his funeral. Uh, he touched a lot of lives and was loved by everyone uh, in that area. And we're just proud as his parents to say that, that he was our son. Needless to say, that call that evening changed our lives forever. And though the initial brokenness of our loss has subsided, the shock waves of, uh, of pain are, are things that, that we will experience forever at certain times during the year. Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas and Thanksgiving. We'll feel them every December 3rd, his birthday, and every February the 6th for the rest of our lives. Since that time, God knows that, that we're doing our best to get through what we'll never get over. Neither Katie nor I would, would ever profess to be experts in any way when it comes to dealing with the grief of loss. But, but we're learning and we're sharing our experience with as many folks as, as God will allow us whenever possible. 
in hopes of, of helping others along the way. Well, let's read from our text this morning, and then we'll look at a few things that I trust will be of help today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, it is not expedient, Paul is writing, it's not expedient or, or profitable for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such in one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this, this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, Paul said that he asked the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from him. And he said unto me, verse 9, my grace, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, Paul said, then am I strong. The first thing that I want you to understand today with respect to loss is simply this. You don't have to get over it. Shortly following TJ's death, I mean just within a couple of days, a dear friend of mine who pastors in Kuna, Idaho, Brother Dean Herring, reached out to me. He too had suffered a tragic loss in his life. And he shared three simple statements with me that were so helpful at, at the moment and that time of my life. He said, number one, he said, you don't have to get over it. He said, Bill, secondly, you can't get over it. And then he said this, which was probably the most helpful to me, God doesn't require you to get over it. Think with me here for a moment. Assuming Paul was afflicted with his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, and there's a lot of speculation out there, but that's all it is, speculation, nobody knows. But assuming he was afflicted with that immediately, or soon after receiving the visions and the revelations that he talked about at the beginning of chapter 12, 
That means that at the time he wrote 2 Corinthians, he had dealt with that thorn for 14 years. And I stand to be corrected this morning, but I don't read anywhere that it was ever removed. So I think it's safe to say this morning that he continued to deal with it for the rest of his life. He never got over it. The concept of getting over it is a misleading and empty expectation. Listen, we get over breaks and sprains, not amputations. Recently, I was mowing my lawn and just happened to step wrong, and I twisted my ankle, and I hadn't done that in ages. And immediately, I fell to the ground, writhing in pain. And I sat there for... I don't know, two or three minutes, maybe more, and my pain, my ankle was just throbbing, and the pain was excruciating. But you know, as much as the pain was, I eventually got up and walked it off and continued mowing my lawn. But let's say I went to the hospital with an infection in my foot that was rapidly spreading up my leg, and in order to save my life, they had to amputate my leg just above the knee. Would you agree with me this morning that that's not something that I could just shake off? And regardless of how long I lived after that, I would never get over it because I would be reminded of it every morning when I woke up and saw the nub. A loss like the one our family suffered and some of you have suffered and and some people that you know and love have suffered, that's an amputation. And you don't get over an amputation. I heard it explained this way. We don't look at the people around us who are experiencing life's joys and tell them to get over it. For example, let's say some friends of yours are, are blessed with the birth of a child. And so you go to the store, and and you get a nice card, and and you write on there, congratulations on the the birth of your child, and you send it to them. Let's say five years later, you're going through your mail, and and you're opening up the mail, and you open up a card that's an invitation to that child's fifth birthday. Who looks at that card and says, are you kidding me? Another birthday? This is like five in a row. Okay, we get it. You got a kid. You need to get over it. Who would do that? Nobody would expect people to get over the birth of a child. So why should we expect them to get over the death of one? or to get over any other 
tragic loss as far as that goes. Helping others understand that they don't have to get over it will deliver them from the expectations of people who, who mean well, they really do, but they have never walked their path. So first, you don't have to get over it, but secondly, you can get through it. Now, here's what I mean by that. I'm talking about that time that eventually comes, and let's understand this morning, that that time is different for everyone. It's different for a wife than it is for a husband, a mom than it is for a dad. I mean, I tell people this all the time. You think about this, Katie had a nine-month connection with TJ that nobody else in our family had. So naturally, her grief is going to be deeper and different than my grief as his father. And our grief is going to be different than the grief of, of our son Tyler and, and, and our, our daughter Tiffany. And so nobody grieves the same way for the same length of time for the same reasons. But I'm talking about a time that eventually comes... When someone accepts the horrible event that brought them so much grief and so much sorrow, and with the Lord's help, they find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. A sense of closure comes when someone finally allows themselves to accept the reality that what was done is done and nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. Though he never got over his thorn in the flesh, I believe Paul did get through it. That is to say that, that he did come to accept it, and he found the strength to move forward in his life in spite of it. And I believe we see that from his words at the close of verse 9, where he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, church, understand this this morning. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything is okay. But it does mean that you are okay. And that you are choosing to get through it, even though you'll never get over it. The third truth that I'll share with you I believe that it was in the song the lady sung, God is sovereign. To say that God is sovereign means that he has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do or to allow anything he chooses with regard to his creation. Let me say that again. 
To say that God is sovereign means that He has the, the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do or allow whatever He chooses in the lives of His creation. I believe Paul acknowledged God's sovereignty when he stated that his thorn in the flesh had been given to him. He knew it wasn't just a stroke of bad luck or, or happen chance or fate. Paul knew where that came from. Paul knew who allowed that. He knew it was by divine design. The fact that God is sovereign means that he's free to do whatever he chooses to do. It means that he has the right to deal with us any way he chooses. He doesn't have to treat us like he treats our neighbors. He doesn't have to treat us today like he treated us yesterday. And perhaps most importantly, because God is sovereign, He's not obligated to live up to our expectations or to explain Himself. Now listen, that's probably not something that you want to share with someone at the moment of their loss. I'll be honest with you, that's not something I would have wanted to hear. It would have been like, dude, back up before I throat punch you. I wouldn't have wanted to deal with that that Tuesday night or that Wednesday morning or that Thursday or for a, a while afterwards, even though I know those things. But I believe the sooner we can come to grips with these truths, the better. Because listen to me this morning, tragedy will challenge everything you have ever believed about God. I don't care who you are. It will challenge everything you've ever believed about God. But listen, if you've grounded your faith and belief in the Bible, though your whole world may change, the truth about God and who He is will not change. And that truth will be your anchor in the midst of even the worst storms. And by the way, the time to do that is now. Right now. Don't wait until the storm hits to try to figure out who God is. Is He good? Is He faithful? Is He kind? Is He merciful? Does He love me? No, listen, you need to get that stuff nailed down right now. Listen, it would be like a, a, us trying to build a tornado shelter in the midst of a tornado. That's not going to work. It's too late. 
You need to get anchored in the Word of God, and, and your faith needs to be anchored in the Word of God right now, before the storm hits. The fourth truth that will help us get through what we'll never get over is that God can use our pain, or God can use pain for our good and His glory. I'm sure all of us are familiar with Paul's words in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But I don't know about you, but I've come to the conclusion that God has a different definition for words than I do. For example, He does work all things for my eternal good and His eternal glory, but His definition of good and my definition of good aren't always the same. My good would never include losing our son in the prime of his life. My good would never be Sheena Sheena left to answer questions like, Mommy, when is Jesus going to fix Daddy and bring him home? How do you answer a question like that? My good would be TJ alive and calling us every week without fail just to see how we're doing. My good would be a kiss on my bald head and the words, love you, pops. My good would be TJ getting to watch all three of his daughters grow up to be godly ladies who marry godly men and spend their lives serving the God that their mom and dad served. That's my good. But I didn't get a vote. Why? Because God's sovereign. I don't have a vote. So what possible good could come from a tragedy like ours or those suffered by others? Well, for one, pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord. Granted, when when we suffer pain, we wonder why God couldn't teach us these lessons in a kinder, gentler way. We ask, did we really need to suffer like this to learn the lesson? And I'll be the first to admit this morning that I don't understand why God does what He does. But I do know that He loves me, and He wants me to draw near to Him. And sometimes He will allow me to feel the pain of this world's unhealed hurts if it brings us closer. John Kitchen said this, our greatest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. Something else that pain does is it conforms us into the image of Christ. 
We go on to read verse 29 of Romans 8, For whom He did know, He also did predestinate to be conformed in the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord. It conforms us into the image of Christ. And then I say this, God permits pain in our life so we can help others with the pain in their life. That's a biblical principle. Paul teaches us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Listen, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so God comforts Katie and I in the midst of our loss. So we can then help others and comfort them in the midst of their loss by sharing the very same things that God has shown us. We share that with them. Does that make sense? That's God's desire. That's that's His purpose. And as much as God has allowed, Katie and I have tried to do that. And here's what we found when we talk with someone who is farther along uh, the path of recovery. It encourages us to keep moving forward with the hope that things will not always be how they seem right now. And likewise, when we share our experience with those whose lives have have been recently shattered, it not only encourages them, but it helps us gain perspective, realizing how far God's grace has helped us down the line. So even when our circumstances aren't good, God's purposes are are. I have just a couple more thoughts and and I'll wrap it up. Here's the fifth one. It's okay to ask why. Did you hear me? It's okay to ask why. Some have been led to believe incorrectly, in my opinion, that it's wrong to ask why. But I submit to you this morning that God is not put off by our questions. Listen, David questioned God numerous times in the Psalms when seeking for answers. I mean, I was just reading Psalm 13 last night, and he questioned God five times in the first two verses. David questioned God when he seemed to be silent. He questioned him when he he felt like he had forsaken him and when he felt like God had forgotten about him. There was a time when, when David thought, well, maybe God's asleep. And he questioned him about that. He questioned God when he felt like he was hiding from him and when he felt like injustice was going to be permitted to go on and on and on and be unpunished. Besides David, Moses questioned God in Numbers 11, as did Habakkuk in chapter 1, and Job in chapter 7, we'll preach from the life of Job tonight, the disciples in John chapter 9, and then perhaps the most 
The most powerful example comes from Matthew chapter 27 when God's Son Himself hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, help me, church, why hast thou forsaken me? For crying out loud, if God's own Son can question His Father, then it's certainly okay for you and I. To ask God, why? Why? John Kitchen, to quote him again, he said, Why is the first and greatest word of the suffering soul? Our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and and, and, and be brutally honest before him. David said in Psalm 142 that he poured out his complaint before the Lord. But that being said, I'll say this. I believe that there is a danger in a persistent focus on why. Because the longer our question goes unanswered, the more it feeds a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows, it usually leads to bitterness. Bitterness is a whole different message all in itself. But can I offer just a, a couple of thoughts here real quick on, on how to keep from getting bitter? Number one, and I don't mean to be calloused here, but we must accept what cannot be changed. TJ's not coming back, ever. And when you think about the glories of heaven, why would you wish him back? Be like, Dad, I'm sorry, bro, but nah, you come up here. There's not a person, there is not a person alive who would not reverse the events of February the 6th, 2018, if they could. But they can't. It's not going to change. That being the case, then the best thing that Katie and I can do and, and, and what we have, have purposely done and intentionally done is we have made the choice, and I'd encourage you to make the choice this morning, to focus on what's left, not what you've lost. That's, listen, 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 that's not to say that we're trying to forget TJ. Not at all. We are not, we are not moving on from him. We are choosing to move forward with him. He is still a huge part of our life.
His pictures are all over our house. His, his brother and sister still laugh and make fun of him and have a lot of fun at his expense. Listen, we talk about him all the time. So we're not moving on from him, but we're just moving on and we're taking him with us. You see, getting through is about reliving the good memories and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Let me just... I'm going to preach a message on Tuesday night, Lord willing, about how to deal with a prodigal. Because not every memory with our TJ is a good one. There are some memories of his life we would rather forget. There are some things that as a father... I would love to forget about my relationship with my son. But what's done's done. We'll talk more about that, Lord willing, on Tuesday night. But part of, part of, uh, of getting through is about relie- re- reliving the good memories and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Sometimes we can let our painful memories so dominate our minds and viewpoints that our good memories all but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner of our minds. So no, this is not about forgetting our son. It's about choosing not to let his death consume us. Because we still have our daughter-in-law and our three granddaughters and our son and his wife and his son and our daughter and her husband and their two soon-to-be three sons who need us. Does that make sense? Allowing ourselves to be consumed by the grief of our loss is going to rob them and others in our lives of the love and affection and attention they need and rightly deserve. The last thing we want to happen is for our children to eventually resent their brother's death because it has robbed them of us. The final truth I'd like to share with you this morning is simply this. God's grace is sufficient. The pain of losing our son was greater than anything I can even begin to describe. But the help we have received from the Lord is greater than anything I could even begin to explain. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I love that word sufficient. It means enough. Enough. 
always and forever enough. As one writer put it, it would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific and soak up all of the water than to exhaust God's supply of grace. It would be easier to, to, to suck the oxygen out of the air with a straw than to exhaust God's supply of grace. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When John Newton penned this promise, he did so out of personal experience. His, his greatest test came the day that his wife, Mary, died, and he buried her. He loved her dearly. He had prayed always that his death would precede hers, but his prayer went unanswered. On the day Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day he visited church members, and later he officiated at his wife's funeral. He grieved, but in his grief, he found God's provision. And he later wrote this, the Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. But the Lord, the all-sufficient God, speaks, and it is done. Let those who know Him and trust Him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what He can do, He has promised that He will do. Thank God for His all-sufficient, amazing grace. In 1932, A.M. Overton pastored a church in Mississippi with his wife and their three small children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child, but when it came time for delivery, there were complications, and both she and the baby died. During the funeral, the preacher officiating the service noticed that Mr. Overton was, was writing something on a piece of paper. And so after the service, he asked him about it, and he handed him the paper with these words on it. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem the day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to Him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all He'll make. 
Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. Yes, we still grieve. But not as those who have no hope. Our hope is in the promise of God. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I couldn't imagine having faced this tragedy, not knowing that our son had done just that as a teenager. And because T.J. was saved, we have the blessed assurance this morning of being re reunited with Him one day in heaven. Not because He was baptized or because He went to church or because He went to a Christian school. Not because He was raised in a Christian home but because there came a time in His life when He realized that he was a sinner who could not save himself. And he understood that the only way to be saved was through a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I ask you this morning as we prepare for the time of invitation, do you have that assurance? Have you called upon the name of the Lord to save you? Do you know for sure that if you died today, that you'd go to heaven? Again, I'm not asking you if, if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking you about any of the religious things you may have done. I'm not inquiring as to your religious heritage because it has nothing to do with any of those things. Our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is by grace through faith. And if you've never had that experience with the Lord where you've said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself, And the best I know how, I'm calling out to you. I'm crying out to you right now to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and Savior. If you've never made that decision today, would you let us help you with that this morning? And that would just, that would just be the crown of this whole day. It would make our son so happy. If he was able to see what happened today that somebody came to know his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.